Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Nick Bush. Welcome, Nick. Hello there, Amy. Great to be here. How are you today? What are you up to? Uh, what am I up to? I, I guess I'm mainly looking forward to my community choir getting back in action tonight. So that's been a, a gap of 18 months. So I don't know how many people are going to turn up, um, but hopefully it'll be quite a few. So it'll be good to see some old friends again. Yeah, I have seen some people do choirs via Zoom, but it's not quite the same, is it? No, I, I, I developed a little skill for video editing. So I put together some of those multi-frame videos, slightly amateurishly, but uh, just good enough to have, have them published. And, and that kept us going a bit. So we did four of them over the period. Um, quite a lot of work. Everyone sent them stuff in the, the last minute and uh, <laughs> different frame sizes and all kinds of technical fun and games. But uh, yeah, it was good fun to do. Oh, but yeah, fantastic. no substitute for the real thing. No, well, I'm sure you're going to have a great fun tonight with whoever turns up. It's, it's, mm. it's still that some people are in the camp of OK to go out mm. and others are still a little bit reticent, which is, you know, rightly so. It's been a very strange sort of 18 months or so and longer. But we've been brought together by the wonderful Kim Hamer. So thank you to Kim. And now it's just a case of let's explore your why and why you do what you do, Nick. So let's get cracking. What is it that you're up to at the moment other than getting ready for your choir tonight? I've got kind of a couple of things that, that run in parallel and occasionally cross over. So uh, if you look on my LinkedIn pri profile, which I'd love people to do after this call, uh, it, you'll see it says Director of the Centre for Management Consulting Excellence, which is a, possibly the grandest job title I've had. And it's certainly the grandest job title for a voluntary role <laughs> that is only part time. Uh, so the Centre for Management Consulting Excellence uh, is, is kind of uh, fathered, if you like, by the livery company that I'm a member of with the equally grand title of the Worshipful Company of Management Consultants. And so they sponsor us, uh, keep us going, but we run events uh, which are around uh, sharing good practice and emerging practice and research in management consulting to help people kind of raise their game and deliver more value for clients. So that's taking up a fair bit of my time at the moment. And uh, apart from odd bits of uh, consulting assignments, some of which are pro bono, some of which are paid for, uh, then I have a couple of charities that I uh, am a trustee of, um, both of which are in the music education field, uh, which I think was the kind of the original spark for this conversation. So I'm probably going to talk more about those than about management consulting. Well, feel free to share what it is you want to share in, in whichever of those areas. Mm. Have you always been a volunteer in some way or another? Uh, probably not. No, I think when I was when I was a kid, I, I joined St. John Ambulance and uh, Venture Scouts, which had sort of elements of well, obviously St. John Ambulance did volunteering, um, and I used to be a uh, a beach lifeguard as well. Well, nobody's life ever needed saving on the days that we patrolled, which is probably a good thing. Um, so I kind of I started out being kind of quite like that. But I guess pressures of jobs and various things could have took over most of the time. So apart from one or two uh, bits, then it's only since I've, you know, probably got more of a portfolio lifestyle going on that, that I can spend more time doing those things. 
And you mentioned a portfolio lifestyle and a portfolio career working that way. How long has that taken you to get to that point? I, I guess it was about uh, 14 or 15 years ago when I gave up my full-time job, took voluntary redundancy, and then uh, set myself up as a freelance consultant. Although, in effect, that resulted in quite a few long-term full-time contracts, which is, which is all well and good, but it almost felt like having a, uh, a permanent job again. So, again, not much, not much of a portfolio uh, in that regard. But uh, over the last three or four years, then, uh, that's changed. And so I've got these various things that I'm able to, to devote more time to, uh, which is nice. And how much of your management consultancy do you bring into your volunteering areas? Uh, quite a bit, actually. I did, uh, back in about uh, 2012, uh, approach one of the charities that I'm now a trustee of. Uh, and, and sort of in a rather naive way, uh, and I'd known them for, a, for quite a long period of time, uh, walked up and said, uh, oh, I think you might need some help from me. I can do all these things. And, uh, and it didn't really turn out like that because I think what I realized is that, that organizations have to get to a certain level of maturity uh, in terms of size and the complexity of the issues that they're dealing with when they can't be handled by, say, the, the founders or the, or the management team. And this at the time, there were really only about three or four people working in the charity. So almost that's, that's too much for, a, uh, for bringing any kind of external help in other than practical help. In fact, what I ended up doing was, uh, was organizing a concert for them. So, so I was able to help out in, in some regard in that. But uh, that particular charity is, has developed uh, significantly over the last few years. And I've been able to, uh, to bring some skills to bear uh, on the last, in the last four years to, to help them, uh, which has been great. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, now not quite the culmination of bringing my two worlds together, if it, as it were. But um, you know, it's certainly a lot more synergy than than I thought was, would be possible, say uh, five or ten years ago. So you've got the synergy, and you you just said that you didn't think it was possible. Why did you not think it was possible to bring your passion and your and purpose together with your profession? Well, I suppose it was that, that I'd always seen music, uh, which has been a kind of lifelong, uh, almost a hobby, really. Well, yeah, I suppose a hobby um, uh, rather than a uh, than a job. Um, you know, I started playing the guitar uh, at about the age of five or six, and uh, never really got to grips with it until I was in my teens, and then. Uh, one could argue I still haven't got to grips with it in my 60s, but uh, <laughs> if you've ever heard me play, um, that's because I'm very bad at practicing. Um, but uh, so it's always been going on, and I've been in bands and various things at various times in my life when that opportunities come up. And uh, it, on possibly one or two occasions, I've actually used my guitar in some consulting work. I think once was a social event that the, uh, the clients organized where they wanted somebody to, uh, to play along with a song that they'd uh, put together. And, uh, and the other one was actually I brought it into the closing elements of a, a workshop. And actually that was, quite, uh, that was quite funny because it turned out there was somebody who could play the guitar better than me. And uh, he rather gently took the guitar off me and <laughs> proceeded to, uh, to strum away at it while we sang the song that we were, but brought the whole team together. So it was a, it was a beautiful moment, but uh, probably one that I wouldn't advise um, consultants to adopt uh, much in their practice, unless they're extremely good. There are plenty of consultants around. There's a, there's a I don't know if he's still around, there's an, an American uh, consultant and academic called John Cow, who specializes in creativity and innovation, and he's an accomplished jazz pianist. 
So I'm always a bit wary of role models, but you do kind of think, oh, I'd quite like to be that guy, <laughs> the one who could actually sit down and play a reel off a few standards in the corner. Whereas if anyone hands me a guitar and expects me to do that, I usually kind of pass it on and say, no, I don't really do that. I just make noise. You, know, just <laughs> you play, I'll sing. So is it the voice or is it the instrument that you like the most? Oh, I, I'm, probably, I'm probably more into the, the instrument. Singing is something I've only discovered relatively recently. The, the choir that I referred to earlier, uh, it was started in 2012. And 2012 was just seemed a great year. Lots of fantastic things happened. It must have been the whole Olympics effect or something. But um, uh, yeah, that started then. And I thought, uh, well, I should give it a go. You know, it always sounds like fun. Uh, it was off the back of all those Gareth Malone uh, programs. And I thought, that just it looks so great. Um, and it's been going ever since, well, apart from the, the pandemic. So, uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun. Wouldn't, we're not going to win any prizes for vocal ability. <laughs> but there's something special that happens with a choir, isn't it? The, the bringing together, and you'd already talked about the synergy of, of your, your work and your sort of passions, but also the synergy of people is incredible. Mm, it is, yeah. I mean, you are there for a common purpose, even though you don't recognize it. And it's partly to make music, but it's that it's the togetherness side of it, I think, in a choir that, uh, you know, that's why they've been going for, for years, <laughs> various ones. And I, as I say, I'm a kind of a late convert to this. So but late convert into the music side of things, into the, the choir, but you talked about a common purpose and, and togetherness. Have you always lived with purpose in your own life? Um, definitely not. No, I, I, and I, I will say at this point that I've had a bit of a, a since we last spoke a few months, but I've been sort of slightly wrestling with this idea of, of purpose. Not that I don't feel that I, I lack it, but I come to feel it's almost become the, the sort of new age religion of the, the last few years. And not that that's a bad thing, but that there are some elements of it that make it seem like, oh, if you just had this, your life would be sorted. And that's not obviously what, what it's about, but it does give you a certain amount of clarity uh, about what's important. And if you've got the luxury of uh, you know, being able to choose where to focus your time, then that's, that's very good because it helps you make decisions about what you do and what you don't do. Where I think it is a bit of an issue is uh, a lot of the time your purpose in life, particularly earlier on, is bringing enough money in to, to pay the rent or the mortgage or support a family. And so that is your driving purpose a lot of the time, or it consumes your time. I think where it can be very difficult for people is if there's a big mismatch between what you're doing day to day um, that you really don't enjoy or doesn't excite you, and then trying to plot a way out of it. Now, I've been extremely fortunate that, um, if I go, I'm not going to give my career history here, but I, I started out life going to university to study chemistry with the view of going to teach it. But uh, luckily for generations of children, that didn't happen. <laughs> So I discovered computers, uh, which hadn't been invented for that long, I think, when I went to university. And um, so I, I thought, oh, I really enjoy this. This is much more interesting. So I, I tried to spend as much time on, on computer course units as I could, and then uh, got a job with a software house. And that kept me going for uh, about seven years. And halfway, or after about seven years, I got taken off my project. In fact, the, the client cancelled it. And... Uh, I was hanging around and the company I worked for said, oh, could you go and work on this, the project office for this consulting assignment that we've got? And I had no idea that I wanted to do 
management consultancy and wasn't even sure I knew what it was. So I found myself managing a, a multi, uh, well, it wasn't a multi-client, but it was a multi-consultant project with about six different firms in the Department of Trade and Industry. Uh, it stuck down on the, in Millbank Tower. And I really hadn't got a clue what I was doing for about three months. And then eventually when I got to grips with it and pulled all the various elements of the, the report together that we were working on, I found that was actually more stimulating than and then what I had been doing, which, which I didn't think was uh, actually possible because I, I was really enjoying my job. So then I moved kind of deliberately within that firm to, to motor on consulting. So in a sense, there was, I suppose looking back at it, what kind of, if you, if you strip away all the kind of elements of it, there was, what was driving me in that was that I really liked solving problems which is not something you do when, you solve, when, you, well, when you're studying chemistry. You don't get proficient enough to be able to solve problems. If you go on to make a career out of it, you probably are solving difficult problems in that subject. Um, but it, through writing computer software and then writing reports and then kind of analyzing problems, I felt I was sort of helping people. So there was something that I found fulfilling in that. And then then my career kind of evolved to in different firms, still sticking with the, the consulting side of it. So that, I think, through this conversation, I'm discovering that I did actually have a purpose. I just didn't realize it at the time because I, my head, if you like, was preoccupied with uh, uh, raising a family and, um, you know, all the stuff that goes with that and making sure that we could pay the bills. And it is funny, isn't it, how you just don't realise that it, there is that thread that runs throughout, but mm. you don't see it until you start to reflect. And, and often, as you say, you're so busy just in that autopilot role of running a household, running a family and raising children, which does you know, occupy a lot of your time for sure. Mm. So you, you spoke about how you, you've been wrestling with the concept of purpose and that it's almost become a bit of a, a new age religion, say. But it has been at the forefront of our minds for millennia. It, you know, it's just a case of each each sort of generation interprets it differently. Mm. So what would you say your interpretation of purpose is right now? Uh, I think it's finding that thing that really gets you, gets you up and motivated in the morning and it's in when you're experiencing it so i've had this a couple of times recently when i've been in my charity meetings so they're both in music education and i realized probably about 10 or so years ago that that was something i really did care about and it kind of almost came out of nowhere because obviously i'd been involved in music um the education side of it i'd you know been on courses and things like that but it didn't really kind of the penny didn't drop and i thought well you know i get so much out of music it, it's just and i could see that a lot of children didn't because music education is underfunded or it's very badly done. It's quite badly done when I was at school, to be honest. And, and so I, I thought, yeah, that if, if I can do something to help bring that yeah, into young people's lives, then that would be something I could really get behind. And I've been fortunate to have a couple of opportunities to do that. And when I'm in those meetings, and it didn't start immediately because a lot of the, I was on a kind of learning curve and I thought, mm, actually, yeah, I'm really enthusiastic. I don't know that much about this or, you know, even how charities work necessarily. But then now I'm at a point where I can think I'm in a meeting and I go, yeah, this is the place where I'm kind of, you know, I feel I have to be here uh, and occasionally I'm adding value, hopefully. So, yes, it's that sort of, I am starting to realize, oh, there's a purpose at work here. 
And what is it that you're looking to create? What is the, the transformation or the impact that you want to achieve to say, right, I've done that. I know that that's going to be the next generation sorted. <laughs> well, I think the first thing that, that you have to learn is to get away from the heroic model that you're going to do this all in your own. So um, that said, I, I've got a kind of a, 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 this kind of shows up in my consulting work when I've been with clients. I, I have a tendency to want to build networks of people within an organization. So, uh, and I'm not so much doing this at the moment because I'm not, take quite a lot of effort and I'm not sure I have the, the bandwidth available but trying to connect with people who are who also share that passion because there's lots of good stuff going on it's not just in the two organizations uh, that I support so bringing together that coalition of people who see the role of music and arts education more broadly uh, and it, and how vital it is not just from a kind of you know the, the, the children who do it but actually from an economic point of view I'm not talking about the creative industries, which we are very strong in, in this country, but actually giving children and young people a broad education and start in life will produce people who go into business or you know, whatever element it is, who've got a much broader outlook and who can think more creatively and more laterally uh, about the problems that they face. So I fundamentally believe that whatever kind of political persuasion uh, you're from, if you, if you want a kind of strong economy, you have to invest very broadly in the subjects that get taught in school, not just focus on the, the obvious ones, if you like. I mean, sure, we need doctors and uh, you know, lawyers even. <laughs> but we want those doctors and lawyers to actually be able to think more broadly. That's what I always encourage my, uh, my two sons to do. We both used to say to them when they were struggling with their practice, just keep at it because, you know, when you are a doctor or a lawyer or a management consultant or whatever, then you'll have all that, you know, wonderful technique to fall back on. They've gone into music, so obviously we over-encourage them on that front, but <laughs> they are living the, their purpose already. Uh, I could see from about 10 or 12 years ago when I first saw him leading an ensemble, uh, my oldest son had that kind of spark about him when working with, in music with, uh, with young children. And similarly, to watch my uh, younger son, uh, he's um, a professional musician to watch him on stage is to see someone who is completely immersed and involved in in what he's doing and you know it's, as somebody who loves music and actually loves the kind of music that they both play and both into uh that gives me a lot of pleasure and how ironic or maybe hypocritical that you you were mentioned earlier that you're very bad at practicing your guitar and yet you advocated that both kids practice their music <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I, I've been thinking about this. I kind of, I felt that <laughs> I made a remark to somebody else this week that I learned a lot from from my father. Well, my father and my mother, really. Uh, and, but usually in a slightly negative way to think. Well, I don't want to do what they did. And so, for example, my uh, my parents ran a hotel and then a restaurant uh, until they retired. Retired early, as it, as it happened, uh, and they didn't really like it that much. Uh, they were good at it, but you know they. they my father took it on because he inherited it from his father and he, you know, he just was miserable about it most of the time. And he was his happiest when he retired. Sadly, it didn't last that long um, before he passed away. But, uh, you know, so therefore I kind of think, well, no, I'm not going to live my life like that. <laughs> so, so I was reflecting on this and I thought, well, my goodness, my two sons must have looked at me and thought, I don't want to live my life like that. I'll go into music, not consulting. 
Yeah, it works both ways. Mm. And you you talked about the music education being under underfunded and badly done. And it's something that doesn't just exist in music. It's in all of the creative subjects that it is. Mm. There is a, a huge a sort of uh, prominence with the, the more traditional subjects. And yet, it's, as you said, we've still done really well as a country in producing creative people. So where is the mismatch? And, and what do you see as if we did fund more of the creative side in, and music and the arts? What, what changes would you see come into effect? I think we would have people... I mean, I've encountered a lot of people as clients or as people that I've worked with who have perhaps a rather narrow view of what's possible. Uh, in, in the business world. And, you know, part of your role as a consultant is often to change that and gently open people up to how they might change the, the way they work or uh, the strategies that they pursue. So I think, and I'm, I'm not claiming that, that my interest in music gives me any kind of a special gift or insight into that, but I think in general, if you've, if you've encouraged people to explore other things than the, just their core subject, that kind of opens up neural pathways in the brain. And again, I'm not a neurologist, but I kind of feel that this is an element that, that does happen that that makes them see problems in, in a different way um you know it's not the answer to to everything because you still need people who are good at maths and, and quite frankly getting over the prejudice against maths is something we should be doing in education as well and there are some great creative teachers out there who who do that um similarly you know all, all the subjects you do at school are all good um but they could could be in some some senses brought together more and there could be more emphasis placed on things like communication so that you'll think you're also encouraging good kind of broad skills in children and young people um i know they do that quite a bit in the, the states there's more of an emphasis on speaking in public which is why often you find that uh, americans are generally better and more confident or come across more confidently than perhaps british uh, children have traditionally done I think that's changing, though. It's really interesting. And, and you, you talked there about possibility, about what's possible, not only in, in the business environment, but also in, in life. Mm. So where does that mindset come from? Is it something that you've had to work on or have you always sort of adopted that? Uh, I think I've had to work on it a bit because... I think, as I say, it's kind of getting out of the shadow of your parents. I mean, my parents have been, uh, been dead for over 30 years, and uh, they, weren't, they, they must have been quite optimistic a lot of the time and quite happy, because uh, otherwise I would have been quite depressed a lot of the time. Um, but they, my father particularly was a slightly fatalistic view that you know, bad stuff would happen to him because we had kind of bad luck. And actually, what I've learned is... Um, what is it? What is the Invictus thing? I'm the captain of my soul, or something. You are, you know, basically in charge of your own destiny. I mean, you may choose to ascribe some of it to a higher power. You know, fine if that works for you. But you know, you really have to take responsibility and think creatively about the issues that beset you. And you know, sometimes they're terrible. Um, I don't think they ever were, uh, particularly in in my parents' case. But I did, I had to kind of work at it over a number of years to think. Well, actually, you know. Sometimes things happen that are not ideal. What are you going to do to work out of it? You, know, you ask for help. That's one thing. You look for people who can help you. So, and that leads to other uh, connections and, and possibilities. So, yeah, it's taken a while, but uh, I think 
I'm probably at my most, most optimistic, which is probably quite good given the times we're in because it's very easy to flip over and think, well, the whole world's terrible. We're, uh, just look at Afghanistan or somewhere. Uh, so you have to also get some of the things in perspective and affect the things you can affect. I mean, you're talking about positivity and and combining that with other elements such as creativity and opportunity. And it's starting to sound very, very Sir Ken Robinson here. And, and I know he was a big advocate of, of the element. And you've talked about elements here and finding your element is, is definitely the, the sort of focus of our show here. And what is it that you have identified with that now is guiding you forward? I'm not sure I can put a specific give it a specific name i think it's just um i, I was once i filled in a form recently that said what five words would uh use to describe you and i said uh glass always full something like that it was five words glass is always full i think and then what would other people say about you <laughs> which is he owes me a pint but <laughs> um because i'm very bad at buying around for some reason uh i, I but I'm I'm just waffling now to uh, to get off the, uh, the the difficult question, but I think <laughs> it's just as you say, it's almost kicking against if you've been brought up to be kind of have these sort of perhaps rather fatalistic views imprinted on you. It, it's kind of getting out from underneath that, and it's recognizing you know those those kind of games that are going on within your within your own psyche. Um, I have actually been doing quite a bit of work on that uh, myself over the last few months and finding it quite revealing. Sometimes you just kind of get these little insights and, and you tend to run away from them a bit thinking, oh yeah, that is a kind of self-limiting behavior. Yeah, I'll just acknowledge that and then maybe come back to it later when I'm feeling in the mood. But uh, yeah, I think you have to do the work uh, on yourself. Um, I'm not particularly disciplined about it. I've got some current practices that, uh, that I do that don't take up too much of my time, which kind of keep me ticking over on it, but I'm conscious of the fact I could probably do a bit more in that regard. That's really interesting. And you say the glass is always full. And maybe that's why you're half bad full, at... Half full. <laughs> oh, half full. Half full. Yeah, okay. as opposed to half empty. Oh, there we go. So the glass is always half full, which means that you, the reason why you're not buying a round is because you don't actually finish your pint in time to buy the next round. <laughs> well, there may be that, but uh, I think some people <laughs> might, uh, might attest to a different view of me. But, so you talked about, let's go back to 2012 and there was that Olympics effect and, and it, a huge year for many reasons. It was, it was a fantastic year and being in London, you couldn't not have, see the benefit of what the Olympics did. And you said that you had the choir and that you started to do lots of other things as well. That, that's almost 10 years now. So how, where do you see the next 10 years going for you, Nick? Um, I, I'm, hopefully going to continue with this mixture that, that I've got. And I keep, uh, you know, sometimes lie awake in the middle of the night going, oh, is that really the right way to do, you know, could I do more of one thing or less of the other? But uh, I think managing a, uh, a sort of reasonably healthy balance and also, you know, I'm at the time of my life where you know, I, I can I have the, the luxury of being able to pursue some things that uh, are just my own interest. So I am trying to devote a bit more time to music. Um, I've just put all my guitars together on a guitar rack. <laughs> I can look at them all together now rather than just bumping into them around the house. So How many have you got? I've got seven, actually, which 
<laughs> which is more it's about six free. more than i actually need <laughs> yes yeah um, and how do they differ oh do we really want to go into this it's very technical well one's a, <laughs> one's a semi-acoustic uh, which is probably my favourite one. Um, that's from my sort of jazz years. Uh, one's an acoustic six-string, because you have to have an acoustic guitar if you're a proper guitarist. That's the one that was used in, the, um, in my client assignments. Uh, one's an electric, which I also enjoy playing a lot. And then I have three basses, because I also spent quite a bit of time playing the bass. Uh, actually, fairly recently, uh, bought an acoustic one, because I was playing in an environment with, where amplification wasn't really uh, that possible. So yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a business case for all of them. And the seventh one is actually is quite a nice story. I, I posted the picture of them all on Facebook, and the person who had originally had my seventh guitar made for him back in the mid-70s, uh, he'd say he, he was in the band, he handed that on to somebody who sold it to me for five pounds. It's a homemade guitar, um, which is, it's had quite a nice sound. Actually, it's still got quite a nice, actually, for something that was, lashed together, including a bit of an old Flymo blade, he told me. Um, and he's actually, I, I will, he's moved to New Zealand, but if he comes over here, I'm going to give him the guitar back. <laughs> I would love him to have it, um, just oh, to have wonderful. that connection. Yeah, I love that. So what's the vision? Where, where are we going? Have you got a, an idea? And I know you said it's not your own heroic journey, but you're going to be bringing other people alongside with you. Is there a particular aim that you've, you've got in mind? And I won't say that I've kind of articulated it and stuck it on a piece of paper behind my monitor because whilst I kind of think that I should do that kind of thing, I end up being not the person who does that kind of thing. Um, what I would love to see myself being part of in the next you know, five to ten years is uh, a group of people, a wider network of people who who act together to to bring some of this kind of uh, creative and very positive input around music and music, music education together. Um, and I don't know how that's going to happen, but the fact that I'm talking about it on this podcast and you are a, have a very large audience may mean that if anyone's made it this far, then they might even want to get in touch with me and say, here's an idea. That sounds wonderful. And some kind of art centre or something like that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the, the, the charities that I'm working with, the, the one that I've known for longer, out of the, the two, uh, is building an art centre at the moment. So just this week, uh, last, last week, we signed the contract with the uh, people who are going to fit out the space that we've got. Um, it's an organisation called World Heartbeat, if I'm allowed to publicise them. And our performance and education centre, the new one, will be in Embassy Gardens, literally a stone's throw, well, you're obviously not allowed to throw stones, uh, from the American Embassy, or anything. <laughs> There's lots of security guards around it. Uh, so a lovely safe area uh, to come and enjoy music in, in Vauxhall in South London, which is an area of massive development, if anyone's ever dri driven through it or been past it on the train. So that's very exciting. Um, I remember when the American Embassy was still in Grosvenor Square and then they obviously had the purpose-built new building over in Nine Elms in, in Vauxhall mm. Way. So, yeah. So, yes, that's part of the, uh, the vision for the next, this time next year, um, it'll be open, all being well. So, hobby, job, which, where does music fit in and where does management consulting fit in now? Is it, are they both hobbies? Well, the fact that I'm able to use some consulting techniques in running a, uh, a change board uh, on a monthly basis for the um, 
the World Heartbeat organization and to help them with developing their customer-centric view of the, uh, the world that they'll be working in. Um, again, it's not just me. There's lots of people with particular expertise um, that are brought in uh, to help out and do probably the majority of the work. <laughs> Mine's a very part-time involvement. Yeah, so I, I'm able to bring what expertise I have in that. Also through the Worshipful Company, Livery Company, I'm able to we do a lot of pro bono work for uh, organisations. So I'm just uh, starting one of those, for, again, for an organisation that works with young people in, in a related field. So that will be interesting. So if I can keep a supply of those coming in, that would be good. And, uh, you know, just hope to keep that rolling for as long as I can do things that are useful. Fantastic. So, so it's not a case now of that if you had this, then it's more a case of, just as you said right at the beginning having that clarity of what's important to you and then choosing how you can then apportion your time and effort and focus into those areas it is yes if you if you have the the luxury of being able to do that which i think you know, i'm not i'm not into luxury generally <laughs> in terms of a lifestyle but i've realized that that is a, a very fortunate uh, position to have arrived at in my mid-60s so uh, therefore, it kind of behoves me. I do feel it's almost a moral obligation to use that time constructively. So how would people, you mentioned earlier, you've got LinkedIn. How else would people get in touch with you, Nick? Uh, I do have a website. It's called knittingfog.blog, uh, which I always think is memorable. I'm not sure if it is that memorable. Uh, how did you come to that name? Uh, actually, that's a relatively recent one because uh, I set up my, I had set up a limited company when I went freelance and I called that Open Cord, which, uh, which still exists as a business name and a site name uh, as well. So the two point to the same place um, because I felt I had a kind of a musical connection. Um, knitting Fog, I think, is to do with that problem solving side of things. So in, in my consulting work, if I can bring anything of value to it, it's sometimes creating of uh, a bit of clarity out of uncertainty and, and ambiguity, which is, a, you know, all good consultants would do that. I wouldn't claim it's, a, I am unique in that, but I thought, and also I thought no one else seems to have that as a site name, so I'll have that one and put dot .blog on the end so it rhymes. Brilliant. I love that. So knittingfog.blog. .blog. Perfect. Great. Nick, it has been an absolute pleasure, and I thank Kim for introducing us once again. It really has been really interesting just following this journey that you've gone through and also understanding more about how you've found that spark and how you've managed to pass on the spark to your children which is you know what you really want to do and how you've you've learned from your your father in several ways of of almost reversing what he said to do <laughs> it's been really interesting so thank you for sharing that how would you like to leave today's episode i i think it's, yeah if i can come with a kind of jerry springer final thought that's what you're, you're looking for i think if you've got if you're able to articulate a kind of vision or purpose i wouldn't get too hung up about not being able to achieve it immediately because if you keep at it even if you have to deviate for material reasons or, or personal circumstances or whatever then if you keep at it things will eventually fall into place hopefully i can't guarantee it but you know i'm only a consultant so i'm just advising not giving you a complete solution so don't don't send any lawyers to knittingfog.blog thank you for listening to the focus on why podcast 
I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.